Okay, so I, after deducing that this movie was about time travel, decided that the appropriate name for the two main characters would be Bill and Ted. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Because uh, there's one who's blonde, and there's one who's got brown hair, mm-hmm. and thus Bill and Ted. This journey being probably their most bogus of journeys, you know? They Yeah. They didn't, like, they didn't do much. No, they, they, like, I'm pretty sure the whole, like, crux of the film, and I, I have no idea because I, you know, they made this movie without sound. Yeah, um, which is a fucking bizarre choice. Really, truly bizarre, but I'm pretty sure they used their time travel device to go back, like, six hours <clears throat> and make a killing with day trading. Okay. Um, I... So basically, like, they'd travel back, like, six hours or something like that. And then just buy and sell a bunch of stocks that they knew the prices for because they were from the future. Should we start the podcast before we start talking about the movie? Eh, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I think that's usually the way we do it. Well, like, usually we have a stupid cold open where we talk about the movie and then say, wait a minute, we should start the podcast before we start talking about the movie. I've got great news. We already did that. Time oh, travel! Shit. Yeah, it's like every single one of our episodes is about time travel, or involves time travel, or is itself a traveler of time. Through the power and magic of cinema, we travel to all different times and places and worlds. We are transported by the vision of the director. Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. (laughs) We watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler. Uh, mm. Time travel. Time travel. Um, so, so we watched the movie, uh, Primer, which, if I remember correctly, I, I believe it is the prequel to Paint. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so I heard recently, though, that, um, they've actually put out a third movie that replaces both Primer and Paint, uh, it's called contrast paint. Huh. How does yeah, that? Yeah, so you just have to do one coat, and it... you don't have to thin it at all. Is that like a like so? A, it's... They're like retconning it. Yeah, it's like a thirty-minute short film because you don't have to thin the plot out. Okay. Is is top coat still going to be canon though? Uh, usually, you're probably going to do like a wash rather than a top coat mm. if you're painting a movie mini. Okay. okay. All right. I I mean I I don't like that they're messing so much with my beloved franchise, but 
that's that's George Lucas for you. Yeah, you know. Um, so, uh, this movie was actually suggested to us by a listener. Yeah. A listener by the name of uh, Bianca from Australia. Literally, and, how does that happen? Um, I don't know. <laughs> but I do have to say thank you very much to Bianca for this recommendation. I have strong feelings about this movie. <laughs> But I think that was her intention. Yes. I also, full disclosure, I have seen this movie several times before. And, um, I still, I don't think it changes anything. Because I still have no idea what the fuck happened. I think that's kind of the point of the movie, is that, like, it gets more confusing as a metaphor for their displacement through time travel because there's a lot of i i will say i have nice things to say about this movie i think the cinematography is actually very good especially for their budget yeah they used a lot of really interesting framing techniques and like editing techniques and stuff like that to make this movie feel really like it has a good eye feel if that you know, like how food has mouth feel for a for like for a like mid two thousands movie. Yeah, that's fair. Um. So, yeah, like there there were a couple of things that I like put into my notes uh, as being like memorable shots. Like, uh, there's a couple of shots where the characters are framed through a garage door and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that frames the char- like that that edition of the closed frame. Um, there's another one where they're filmed through the window of a lab door at their day jobs. And like stuff like that to me makes for some really interesting visuals to a movie when, you know, the only thing we have is visuals. I get a little focused on certain things like that. And like the door was completely black, right? So you have this, really tightly framed square around the characters as they have their dialogue. Yeah. And it's still presented in typical movie widescreen. So to kind of close the aperture with this door made for some really interesting visual text to the film. Yeah, I did actually notice that. It was was like, there was one cool shot where they're like talking and the garage door is coming down with the cameras Mm -hmm. like behind the garage door. And then it like ends up looking through the window and it's cool. Cool. Uh, Now, for all of the praise that I do have, it does also, sorry, I skipped a letter (laughs) in the word does. It does also have one of my least favorite techniques from the mid 2000s which is Blair Witch-style shaky cam. Mm. That may just be because it was they made this on a $7,000 budget. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I feel like if you've got a $7,000 budget, like, at least 400 of that should be getting a gimbal for your camera. That's fair. Especially if your mom and dad are doing craft services. Which, uh, that, uh, that was in the credits. <laughs> Really? Yes. Good God. The okay. Mom and Dad provided food. Oh, taking craft services and spelling it with a K. Everyone comes and gets craft dinner because that's the only <laughs> thing we can feed you. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so um, did you listen to any music while we watched this movie? Because boy, howdy, did I listen to some music. I didn't. I, well, kind of. I had um, Valheim open, so like the background music from that was playing, but that's about it. I listened to uh, Super Pony Beat Volume 2. That is a stark contrast to what I listened to. <laughs> uh, it turns out that, like, Eurobeat does a really good job at making even the dullest movie move pretty quickly. I can totally see that. So for the first time in a very long time, I don't think I stopped the movie for any significant period of time. I think it took me about as long as it took me to watch the movie. Uh, now, I did find it on YouTube, so I did watch it at one and a half speed. Oh, that's because... fucking smart. Yeah. Oh, I've shit. Done this... I've done that so many times for movies when I find them on YouTube. It makes it so much less torturous because, like, you know, you turn an hour and ten minute movie into, like, a 45 minute movie and you're done pretty quickly i know what movie we need to do next for the next episode what is it it's called freddy as fro7 it's on youtube in fact i can get you a link to it is it is a 1992 animated film is fro7 like a james bond yes bit? yes uh I thought we were watching good movies. Yeah, no, let's not actually do this. It's about That's such a It's about a French sorcerer king who from a thousand years ago who is also immortal and he is a giant talking frog and he does become a French secret agent in the present and his car is also a living frog thing <laughs> and a human lady and him fuck. Uh <laughs> also, the villain is a sorceress who takes the form of a snake who does have tits and ass and no limbs. Oh my god, and Ben Kingsley is in it? It's got a lot of people in it. And uh looks like Brian Blessed's in it. Yup. James Earl Jones is the narrator for the American release. Yeah, we're not watching this. No. I might I might inflict this on Emma. But... Yeah, I <laughs> I I really want to watch it cuz I learned about it and now I have I I have to watch it cuz it sounds like an absolute fucking nightmare bad trip. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Oh yeah, the snake does have snitties. <laughs> That's certainly something. It's a choice. Us, it's a choice they, they made. They gave us Snake an hourglass figure. Yep. <laughs> so back to Primer. Yeah, yeah. Back to Primer. First of all, um, I want to say, in addition to everything else I've said, the, the things that made me laugh about this movie, um, primarily, I the film grain sort of texture that it had to it, that was an artifact of like early 2000s digital filming it was it visually it and just sort of like the way the characters existed on screen and their mm -hmm. just sort of general appearance and and dress i got 
real big, like, birdemic vibes. <laughs> okay, so for me, the vibes were less birdemic and far more... Um, are you familiar with the sketch comedy show Stella, starring Michael Ian Black, David Wayne, and Michael Showalter? I am not. Okay, so um, have you seen Wet Hot American Summer? No, but it, it sounds interesting, just based on the title. Uh, there, there, there's also a sequel, actually. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer is one of those absolute classics of early 2000s comedy films. It's got a lot of star power. There's a lot of, like, really excellent comedians in it. And it's a very funny movie. And the sequel series that's on Netflix is alright. Um, but the, the big thing is that, like, you know, it, it's basically the same team that made Wet Hot American Summer that made Stella. Stella was a Comedy Central show that the premise was just that um, the two Michaels and David Wayne lived together and were weird. And they all wore suits everywhere for some reason. Mm, yeah. They... And that just, this, this, the shirts and ties and the whiteness of it yeah, all kind of it's... put me in the mind of, oh, this is a Stella sketch. It's like, like that, or they're all Mormon missionaries. I think the purpose of the costuming in Stella was to like a little bit pastiche that sort of a style of dress, but you know, make it vulgar. It was is there's there's something to it. I, I have to say, yeah, a lot of that comedy does not age very well. It uh, doesn't surprise me. But there's some of it that I still regularly make reference to. In particular, the pizza sketch, uh, which is one of my absolute favorite bits of early two thousands comedy. Uh, I won't recount the details of a comedy sketch, but I do suggest you guys look up the Stella Pizza sketch. There's a little bit that's like, ugh, but most of it's pretty funny. Do you want to talk about the plot as we interpreted it? Um, okay, yeah. So, a couple of um, Mormon missionaries mm -hmm. who are, I think two of them are dating. It's the early 2000s. They wouldn't have let gay people be in movies. That's true. But, like, there was a whole lot of, like, it looked like they were having relationship problems. Yeah, that's true. They did kind of have a lot of, like, it was very heavy on the, like, individual drama of these two lead dudes, like, and their arguments. So the, the basic premise of this movie is that these two guys accidentally invent time travel mm -hmm. while they try to make a machine that through the magic of science, air quotes, makes things have less mass. And when they have less mass, they occupy the time stream differently and can travel back in time. But they only travel back in time for as long as they were in the machine that lowers their mass. So you I, like... I think it's one of those things where you can only go back to when the machine was first created. So like, it's very... Um, I can see how this might have influenced the um, visual novel slash later anime uh, Steinsgate a little bit. Have you ever watched that or played it? It's quite good. It, it, it deals with this same style and sort of time travel. Not like necessarily exactly the same, but like 
very heavily limited time travel and a quest to effectively get back to a more correct timeline after they start messing with the timeline and people start dying. Okay, yeah, that... Which is also the crux of this movie, basically. Yeah. These two guys are messing with the timeline, making a lot of money, I assume, on day trading. It does seem a little bit like they do spend most of the time sitting in a hotel room just kind of broing out. Uh, yeah, you know. For re- reasons, I guess. I mean, like, okay, so, like, the reason that they're... Because they have a piece of paper when they go into the time machine that says, like, how to not cause a temporal paradox. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy that. Which is the most delightful movie prop I have ever seen. <laughs> yes. I I did pause and, and try to read that. Um, so... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's really funny. It's it's pretty... I I appreciated it because it did also, like... It it was some clues to what was going on. Yes. In an otherwise empty of clues movie. So what I'm thinking here is that um, the way that they avoided the paradox was by, like, spending their day in the hotel and then going to the machine so that when they were walking around after having gone back in time, they didn't run into themselves. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. I was, uh, for some reason, I thought they were going back in time and then just sitting in a hotel until they caught back up. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, this is the dumbest use of a time machine I've ever seen. Uh, but, like, I mean, you figure they they probably had, like, a couple of days worth of time together alone in that hotel room. Do you think they explored each other's bodies? There is absolutely no way they didn't. Like, you know, you have the intimacy of knowing that you are one of two people who have ever traveled through time. Two people and one weeble, uh, who have traveled through time. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you've got time. They exhaust, You've got like, nothing but time. They exhaust, like, Scrabble and throwing things into a garbage can. Eventually, they... things are gonna get sexually charged. Yeah, you know, you, you make eye contact and you hold it for just a little bit too long. And maybe, and then... like, maybe it's possible if you were, like, a little bit insecure about it, you might justify it to yourself by saying... Well, we're about to travel back in time to when this didn't happen, so it's it'll be fine. Yeah, it's not gay if you erase it from the timeline by time traveling. Yeah. And, like, you know, it, it's only natural that as you spend that time together, you start to get curious. Yeah. And it's like, hey. Like, hey, buddy, uh, take off that tie. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, do you want to, uh, are you uncut? Cut? Do you want to <laughs> compare dicks? Do you want to? Let me just, uh... You got something on your face? Let me fix that for you. I'm just gonna lick it off. You, like, lick your thumb and you wipe their face and then suddenly your hand is on their cheek and you're really close to each other and then maybe you just bust it down sexual style. (laughs) Sometimes you do just bust it down sexual style. You get goaded with the sauce. (laughs) The sauce is cum. Oh, oh. What if you, okay, what if you 
bring your come back in time with you. Okay, I'm listening. That's as far as I've gotten with this plan. <laughs> okay, so you, you... Does the come go back in? I think if you keep it in a jar with you while you're in the time machine, it doesn't. Like, it might try to, but the jar will keep it restrained. Right, and... But, so... That's infinite come, baby. Yeah, that's a renewable resource that you exploited. Yeah, you're... You you got, like, a cum-duping glitch going on. Cooping. <laughs> um... But I, I have to imagine they just... Another justification was, well, if the cum goes back in, it never landed on my buddy's face. True. True. Mm. So that's part of the advantage of time travel, is that it doesn't ever actually happen, because you've reversed it through the power of time travel. Yeah, and also, okay, the other the other thing is that, like... It does seem like in the movie their their like their bodies start to like break down over time, mm-hmm. and at a certain point you've got to be thinking like how much longer am I even going to be able to get a boner? I have to do something with it before it goes away. I wonder if they're like suffering from like prolonged exhaustion, one from all of the vigorous fucking. And two, from the fact that they've effectively added an additional six hours to every single day of their lives. Yeah. So they're now living on like a. Oh yeah, their sleep schedule. Thirty-hour schedule. So like, if every day for you is thirty hours long, that's gonna start to fuck with you, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like just like your circadian rhythm is absolutely completely bonerized. Mm-hmm. Um and. It is also interesting that, like, they have to take, like, oxygen tanks into the machine with them. Yeah, I don't know what, what... is that. It's possible that the machine creates a vacuum? I was, like, maybe since, like, it, it, it moves, like, everything, like, slightly out of phase with time or whatever, so the only oxygen you've got is what's in that little box and that's maybe not six hours worth and you do have to stay in the box for six hours while you're going six hours back in time so really they've added 12 hours to each of their days you're right so they're working on 36 hour days yeah that's gonna fuck up your body pretty bad because that's like a full day and a half per day yeah they're living life at 1.5 times speed which is how i watch this movie (laughs) I mean, you'd have a lot more time for movie watching and fucking. Yeah, that's the thing. Could they have not brought a portable DVD player in there with them? Did portable DVD players exist in 2005? Um, I want to say yes. I can look it up, but I I'm feel, pretty sure. I feel like maybe. <clears throat> or at least like a Game Boy, you know? Yes, okay, so there were portable DVD players in 2004. Okay, Um, okay. I distinctly remember having one that my stepdad got when we converted over to DVDs. And do you want to know what the two DVDs we had? Uh, The first two DVDs I ever owned. Fast and the Furious 1 and 2. No. Okay. Jimmy Neutron and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's quite a selection. The third one was Shrek. I mean, I'm. You were late to the party. It should have been one of your first two. Uh, I did not. So, to be clear, 
I did not purchase either Jimmy Neutron or National Lampoon. Those were purchased for me. Okay. The first one that I purchased was Shrek. Emma says the first movie that their family got was The Phantom Menace. I want to say probably the first movie we got was some, like, Disney animated movie. Because That's fair. Because lots of kids. Yeah. Um, I also very distinctly remember uh, there was this time where we had the portable DVD player in the car with us. And we were, my family was driving up to Quebec to go skiing for a ski vacation. We got caught in a blizzard on the way up to Quebec. So, like, through New York and stuff like that. Uh, we watched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, my God. Over the car ride. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, that long. That's bad. Yes. And uh, the worst part, when we finally got to Quebec, they didn't get any of the snow. What? That's... All of the snow hit New York. And we had, like, it was just the most disappointing weather ever. It was only there to prevent us from getting up to the vacation and not there to benefit us at the ski area. That's so bad. It was so bad. You should have just stopped partway and gone skiing. We should have gone to, like, Lake Placid. (laughs) No, you hate to see it. Yes, you do. Uh, it was very funny. I, it, but yeah. So I distinctly remember that portable DVD player saving our lives on that very long trip. Yeah. Um, God, that would have been good uh, that I could have had time travel for that one. Yeah, just to make it longer, so you could go back in time and experience the car ride again. Uh, no. So I could um, watch Lord of the Rings a second time, but with the extended edition or the director's uh, commentary, one of the two. True. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. What else do we got? Um, what else is there about this movie? Um, okay, so we got to the point where they accidentally invented time travel. They use it to fuck a lot and ruin their sleep schedules. Um, and then the movie sort of starts getting out of sync with itself. It goes, like, off the fucking rails. Like... You start to see after images of things that just happened spliced into the film. Yeah. It's really visually interesting. Yeah. But maybe muddies the communication that the film is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Especially given that they made it without sound. Yeah, again, like, such a weird choice. It's weird that we keep finding all of these movies that the directors have chosen to make without sound. I mean, it's good for us in terms of, like, being able to do the podcasts that we do, but yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, you... I could have sworn that silent movies, like, stopped being a thing, but now that you just keep making new ones, and, you know, we've and got ones, ones from like 2004. extra silent. This is, like, Silent Movie Plus, because there's not even, like, a backing soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. So it's like silent Maybe movie we need directors to get someone... went went into New Game Plus and <laughs> their higher level. They now. went into console commands and turned off the music. <laughs> yeah, we need to get someone to like play ragtime piano while we watch these movies. You know, we like we do. Uh, I don't know how to make that happen. Just sort of uh, financially and physically having a person in the room with me 
while I struggle, um, I, I don't necessarily need someone to see me, um, just sort of in the depths of trying to watch one of the movies for this podcast. It is truly the depths <laughs> that we go to. Like, this... The, the the fucking strain that <laughs> watching movies with no sound does to you is it's, like we've traveled through time and are living 36-hour days. Especially, especially with the real bad ADHDs. Like, it is a, a unique form of torture that we put ourselves through. So I hope everyone appreciates that. I... I... And like this whole this whole show was your idea, so yeah, this is your it is fault. My fault, yes. It's I go to such weird places when I watch <laughs> these movies. Like, you know, I I name the guys Bill and Ted, but at some point you find out that the blonde guy's name is Abram or something like that. Um, so then my brain was like, oh, he's named Abram. Does that mean anything for the text of the film? Did they intend to name him after the biblical figure? What does that mean? How does this play into the plot of the movie? And I have in my notes, I'm like struggling to put together what this could possibly mean. And then, um, is the box a gift from God or is it a test? Does Avram... Oh, the movie ended while I was thinking about this. Sure, I mean, yeah, okay. Basically, this movie is utterly confusing. It is very confusing. My my general watching experience for, for movies for this podcast is throughout the duration, I've become increasingly bisexual, but only insofar as my sitting posture goes. <laughs> oh. Okay, explain. What is bisexual sitting posture and how does it differentiate from generalized queer sitting posture? It's... I mean, I I think the the can't sit in a chair right did start as a, a specifically bisexual thing. I have only ever seen that as a generalized like queer thing. Mm, well, I'm older than you, so as yeah, as around well, back in the day, I did invent time travel by putting myself in a small box, and I went back and I confirmed that the meme has always been just about how gay people can't sit properly in chairs, so... Okay. I changed the meme. Oh, shit. No, Kat, you can't change things. Why not? Why can't I change Cause things? Because you're... Because then someone will show up at your party with a shotgun. For some reason. See, that's the best part. I don't have parties. Oh, God. You know, I think you've just cracked, like, the only downside of time travel is that someone will show up to your party with a shotgun. If you don't have parties, no downside. That's smart. Exactly. And you don't need to do any handwriting. God invented computers for a reason. Yeah. You know, like, I'll just type. I don't need to, I don't, my handwriting was already bad. It's not like oh, yeah. some great loss. My handwriting's atrocious. It cannot get worse. Le- like, physically it can't get worse. <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, like, I I think that the hinge point of this movie is that one of them wants to keep time traveling and fucking around with the timeline to make himself more money, and the other one is like, this is a bad idea, things are going wrong, and we should stop. Yeah. And they come together, and then they join up as a team. Uh, so, sorry, (laughs) distracted myself with that really bad joke. 
they they join up as a team to save the girlfriend who gets shotgunned by someone at the party. Yeah, like what? Because I think wasn't that like the party that happened earlier in the movie? Yeah, like and it didn't so happen we, the first time around. So what the fuck caused? I don't know, but I do recall that. There was another box that they had running for, like, multiple days already. Yeah, and I think that was, like, a secret from, what, like, one of the, guy, one of the guys had that as a secret that the other guy didn't know it's about. It's like a secret fail-safe backup to go back in time and kill himself before he starts time traveling. Yeah, like, if things go too wrong, you... Mm-mm. Maybe that's what the shotgunning at the party was, is, like, they're trying to, like, get rid of everybody who was, like, even tangentially involved... A little bit close yeah, to this it's thing. Yeah, it's the oops, I beefed it box. Yeah. <laughs> and you just go back in time in the oops, I beefed it box. <laughs> uh, and and then, yeah, it was weird. It was, it was, so the movie ends on a shot of what looks like um, Ted of this Bill and Ted duo converting a warehouse into another box so that he can continue to exploit the past but on a larger scale uh-huh. i don't know that i quite grasp what the purpose of sizing it up is uh... other than like giving yourself more space to do activities while you're traveling back through time um or that... possibly moving things like technology maybe do you think that this movie was filmed in that warehouse while they were traveling back in time and that's why they needed the warehouse was to film the movie about the time travel i can't wrap my head around that so (laughs) i will say no (laughs) because if i say yes then i have to pretend that i understand it (laughs) uh fair Hello listeners, it's Kat with this week's mid-roll announcements. First, before we go any deeper into the episode, I want to talk about a quick content warning. At around the 53 minute and 30 second mark, as part of our closing bit, I've used some gun sound effects. I'd rather spoil part of the joke here so that those of you who need to can skip it rather than risk upsetting anyone. The intent of this show is to bring joy to our listeners with our autistic charm, and we can't do that if we're making you uncomfortable. Thanks for understanding. Now, if you'll allow me to get into character for a moment. Are you ready to step into the squared circle and become a tag team wrestling superstar? Then get ready to call it in the ring, the ultimate tabletop role-playing game for wrestling fans. Describe the lead-up, set up the legend of your opponent, then hop into the ring as you battle your way to the world's championship. Using playing cards to play through major moments of your match on your path to glory, you get to lace up your boots, step into the ring, and get ready to rumble. Available now at zaftycat.dog. Whew. Okay. Uh, back to normal me. If you'd like to interact with Kira or me on social media, you can follow us on Tumblr at zaftycat.tumblr.com and sapphire-mess.tumblr.com. I'll give you two guesses as to who's who. If you'd like to support us, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can tell someone about the show. We thrive on word of mouth, and our goofy brand of weird is the perfect thing to recommend to your friends. Your polycule your found family, your biological family, or your time travel clone. You could also be our favorite people in the world and leave a review for the show on the podcatcher of your choice. 
We're fans of good pods for their really neat shareability features, but whatever you prefer works for us. And if you do leave a review, let us know via tweet or Tumblr message, and you'll get a shout-out on the show. Thirdly, we'd be so grateful if you were to support us on Patreon. We make this show because we love it, not because of the money, but a little support from you goes a really long way for us. So please do consider that support. If you can't give, please don't worry. You are still valuable to us. That's all for the mid-roll. I'll let past me Akira get back to the future. No, that's definitely the wrong movie. Um, cue the VCR sound. Okay, um, do we want to figure out what this movie was actually about insofar as a Wikipedia summary can do that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what Wikipedia has to say. I think I'm back. Okay. Primer is a 2004 American independent psychological science fiction film about the accidental discovery of time travel. The film was written, directed, produced, edited, and scored by Shane Carruth, who also stars... With David Sullivan. Yeah. Primaries of note for its extremely low budget, experimental plot structure, philosophical implications, and complex technical dialogue, which Cariff, a college graduate with a degree in mathematics and a former engineer, chose not to simplify for the sake of the audience. <laughs> classic, classic engineer mm-hmm. move. The film, co- it's, it's another relevant XKCD. It's that situation wherein, you know, when you think you have dumbed things down enough for the layperson, you need to go at least another six layers because what you think is common knowledge is not common knowledge. Yep. Um, So, the plot. Two engineers, Aaron and Abe, supplement their day jobs with entrepreneurial tech projects working out of Aaron's garage. During one such research effort involving electromagnetic reduction of objects' weight, the two men accidentally discover A to B causal loop side effects. Objects left in the weight-reducing field exhibit temporal anomalies proceeding normally from time A when the field was activated to time B when the field was powered off, then backwards from B to A in a continuously repeating sequence such that objects can leave the field in the present or at some previous point. Abe refines this proof of concept and builds a stable time apparatus called the box, sized to accommodate human subjects. Abe uses this box to travel six hours into his own past. As part of this process, he sits incommunicado in a hotel room so as not to interact or interfere with the outside world, after which he exits the box, then waits inside the box for six hours, thus going back in time six hours. Once he exits the box, Abe travels across town, explains the proceedings to Aaron, and brings Aaron back to the self-storage facility housing the box. At the facility, they watch an earlier version of Abe enter the box. Abe and Aaron repeat Abe's six-hour experiment multiple times over multiple days, making profitable same-day stock trades armed with foreknowledge of the market's performance. The duo's divergent personalities, Abe's cautious and controlling, Aaron's impulsive and meddlesome, put strain on their collaboration and friendship. Additionally, the time travel is taxing on Abe and Aaron's bodies. Effectively, their days become 36 hours long, including the extra time afforded by the box. 
As the film progresses, the two men begin to notice alarming side effects of time travel, which take the form of ear bleeds. Later, they notice their handwriting has progressively worsened. Wait. The tension between Abe... I have a theory. Okay. It's actually anime nosebleeds, because they're totally hot for each other, but Mm -hmm. the time travel has warped where it comes out. I see. They're having anime nosebleeds because they're both perverts. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. Hmm. It's possible. The tension between Abe and Aaron comes to a head after a late night encounter with Thomas Granger, father to Abe's girlfriend, Rachel. Some real Jewish names in this movie. (laughs) You've got Avram, Rochel, Aaron, like, hello? What's going on here? Does that mean something? It might. Um, the tension between Abe and Aaron comes to a head after a late night encounter with Thomas Granger, who appears inexplicably unshaven and exists in overlap with his original suburban self. Granger falls into a comatose state after being pursued by Aaron. Aaron theorizes that at some unknown point in the future, Granger entered the box with timeline altering consequences. Abe concludes that the time travel, sorry, Abe concludes that time travel is simply too dangerous and enters a secret second box, the failsafe box built before the experiment began and kept continuously running, traveling back four days to prevent the experiment's launch. Cumulative competing interference wreaks havoc upon the timeline. Future Abe sedates original Abe so he'll never conduct the initial time travel experiment, and meets original Aaron at a park bench so as to dissuade him, but finds that future Aaron has got there first, armed with pre-recordings of past conversations and an unobtrusive earpiece. Having having brought a disassembled third failsafe box four days back with his own body, future Abe faints at this revelation overcome by shock and fatigue. The two men briefly and tentatively reconcile. They jointly travel back in time, experiencing and reshaping an event where Abe's girlfriend Rachel was nearly killed by a gun-wielding party crasher. After many repetitions, Aaron, forearmed with the knowledge of the party's events, stops the gunman, becoming a local hero. Abe and Aaron ultimately part ways. Aaron considers a new life in foreign countries where he can tamper more broadly with, for personal gain, while Abe states his intent to remain in town and dissuade slash sabotage the original box experiment. Abe warns Aaron to leave and never return. Multiple box-aware versions of Aaron circulate. At least one future Aaron has shared his knowledge with the original Aaron via discussions and voice recordings and an unsuccessful physical altercation. Future Abe watches over original Abe going to painstaking extremes to keep him unaware of the future. Another Aaron directs French-speaking workers in the construction of a warehouse-sized box. The movie ends. Okay. Uh, I think I maybe caught about 35% of that. You know, 35%'s pretty good for a fifth watch of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Shane Carruth cast himself as Aaron after having trouble finding actors who could, quote, break the habit of filling each line with so much drama. So, when you have a $7,000 budget, yeah, you're gonna get, no offense to people who do community theater, community theater actors. Okay, but Birdemic and every movie that dude has produced also exist. And those, sure. the, the the acting in that, in those, is, I would say, completely devoid of drama. So maybe he should have just hired one of those dudes. Uh, 
So, like, there's a difference between what I would consider to be overly dramatic acting and f- flat acting. Yeah. Um, like, you know, there's a middle ground between those two, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I have some interesting news. Uh, so, you know how there's a uh, Tales from the Loop TV series coming out? No, but sure. Okay, are you familiar with the tabletop role-playing game, Tales from the Loop? I am not. Okay, so Tales from the Loop is a really neat um, tabletop RPG that's set in a sort of alternate version of the 80s in uh, Sweden. And, like, it's a very sort of, like... You know how sci-fi sometimes branches into elements of, um, like man-made horrors beyond our comprehension. Uh-huh. So it's very man-made horrors beyond our comprehension. Okay, yeah. Like, you play as kids, um, you have these machines that, like, intake people and spit out blood and stuff like that. It's like... So it's, like a wood chipper? <laughs> a little bit like a wood chipper, but more horror-y. <laughs> I mean, sure. Wood chippers have a purpose. These machines are just there to excrete blood fair i uh, i mean <clears throat> i i would yeah uh so anyway uh the roundabout point is they're making it into a tv series uh with music from philip glass interesting and uh shane Cariff is in it for at least four episodes huh okay sorry did i say they're making i do mean they made is this these all came out in 2020 um i did not realize that the show was out already. I mean, that's time travel, baby. Yeah, I got fucking Shane Carruth again. Yeah. That's, again, Damn it. that's what the warehouse-sized box is for, is so they can make a movie and then release it at the same time it started filming. You know, maybe that is what it's It's the about. future of Hollywood, really. It, it It'll cut down on, like lead times for like making sequels and shit mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's gotta be it that's how they that's how by 2024 they have five avatar movies yeah and then james cameron can discover cameronium and we can finally have clean energy finally but how is he gonna discover cameronium if he can't write about it with his hands um he doesn't need to write about it with his hands or maybe it's just that people have r- trouble Wait. with writing. Here it, I have that? it. People have trouble with writing in English, but they do not have trouble writing in Navi. And oh. James Cameron writes all of his notes in Navi. That makes so much sense. Another thing that now I am thinking about that makes so much more sense also is that the shaky cam is because their hand-eye coordination was messed up from time traveling. That's exactly what it is. The shaky cam has to be on purpose. Yeah. It's diegetic shakes. Yes. That's my new uh, health craze. Diegetic shakes. <laughs> That's a pretty good health craze. Okay, do we want to do some reviews? We can do some reviews. I I had a real hard time finding like actually interesting ones. It's just a, a whole lot of people saying it was confusing. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Beige <clears throat> gives it one star and, and, <laughs> I 
Tales to review left me confused. And they say, please save room for me in the box. I'll be going back two hours to tell myself not to rent this movie. You know, that's a, that's a, a, a I kind of feel the same way. Uh, Araby gives it two stars and says, confusing. And I did enjoy Memento. Yeah, you know. What else is there to say? They enjoyed Memento. What else? Robert D. South gives it three stars and, and titles the review, Are You Hungry? And the, yeah, I am, the review actually. reads, I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Pretty good movie. I think I need to watch it again to really figure out what's happening. Having just recently watched Looper and Continuum, I was primed to expect the time travel issues to be relatively obvious. Here, it is not a gimmick to drive what the movie is about. It is what the movie is about, and it pulls no punches. So apparently, um, Shane Carruth did consult on the time travel aspects of Looper. Ah, that's who you want as your expert time travelman. And yes, so he made some suggestions for Ryan Johnson to do certain things with Looper's time travel and stuff like that. And everyone was like, hey, Shane, this is too expensive. No. (laughs) So none of his work actually got used in Looper. (laughs) Okay. Which is ironic (laughs) given the budget of this movie. (laughs) You know, that's true. I think he probably was like, a movie where there's a budget? Let me just go buck wild on this. We're going to make the time travel sequences not just man gets in box for six hours. More confusing. Less comprehensible. We've got to go more confusing. We are adding sound this time. I have another review from uh, Matthew Mercier, which I can only assume is the French version of Matt Mercer. Um, mm-hmm. His French cousin, uh, who gives it four stars and titles this Great Character Study on Engineers. Interesting, mildly entertaining. And it reads Great movie about engineers gone haywire. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, engineer, told me about this movie and put off seeing it for a while. I am glad I finally watched it. There is nothing technically accurate or mind expanding about the movie. It's just a great portrayal of how engineers, at least the one I know, behave and do their day-to-day scheming. You can see it happening all all the way through. They get caught up in the potential, they lose their discipline, and things go sideways quickly. This is not an action movie, it is a character study. Do not take a date to this movie. There is a decided lack of chickness about it. I am (laughs) pretty... I'm pretty sure the only people who will who will appreciate it is other engineers. Maybe have a beer when the family is out of town and watch because you just cut off the cable and don't have any other quality entertainment. Watch this if there's nothing else to watch. <laughs> that was a four star review. That's it's, it's a it's a boy movie. Yeah, I mean that's 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 all there is. There's a, just there's a lack of chickness. <clears throat> Um, the next review is from Lenugo, who is a Vine voice. We've we've had a Vine voice in the review section before. I forget exactly what the fuck it is, but I'm assuming it has something to do with Vine, the discontinued video platform, and I guess since uh, time travel. That's how it's possible. 
everything is possible through time travel. Yeah. So jot that down. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I think they got an experimental version of this movie. Movie, Because um, oh? the review is titled, Great Sci-Fi Movie, Bad Audio. Well, no audio is bad audio. No press is bad press. Wait. Yep, no, yep, yep. Yep. Okay, it took me a second to register that that was correct, but yes. <laughs> um, it reads, Best sci-fi movie I've ever seen. The script is so complex that 48 hours of rental time won't be sufficient to watch it enough time to actually understand it. The audio is bad, though. I'm not a native speaker, and I don't have an expensive speaker system. I had to have the volume way up to catch all the conversation, and I didn't understand most of it on my first few goes. Subtitles would be greatly appreciated. Yes, they would, sir. Yeah, I'm fully on board with that. That's all I found. There's, there's All of the okay, reviews yeah, for this are I mean, so like, serious. <laughs> we, can, we, can end the move, uh, the, um, we can end the podcast here. Yeah. Yeah, I think we probably should, because, um, like, you are standing over my shoulder with a gun, so... Well, okay, you don't have to, like, be that kind of rude about it. No, I mean, it. like, literally. Um, yeah, because we need to go back in time so we can make money and finance a better podcast. True. Okay, uh, I guess. Uh, but why the gun? Because I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Well, I didn't think you were going to be okay with it, because I thought you might have been, like, a one of those Abe types. I've never been an Abe type in my life, Kat. I'm <laughs> a Beeb type. You're a Beeb yes. type? Like the BBC? Like, like you have two options, Abe and Beeb. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> uh, just, I need you to get in the box. Okay, that's what she said. Uh, <laughs> I might have to shoot you now. Kira! I took the box, and I'm here to get you out. We do not want this podcast to have more money. Bad things will happen. I cannot tell you what they are. But, I mean, I guess. I feel like, how is that a bad thing, though? Gord survives. Okay, yeah, no, fuck that. Okay, thanks for listening. We sure didn't. Bye. Unsound Theories is a production of So Says Media. You can follow us on Twitter at Unsound Theories or follow Kat and Kira at ZaftiCat, Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T, and at Sapphire underscore Mess, respectively. The best way to support the work we do is to tell a friend and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. If you'd like to support our work monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Media. There you'll gain access to behind-the-scenes content, Patreon-exclusive episodes, and so much more. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel. You can find this and Chris's other work at soundslikeanearful.com. Until next time, stay wizard. <laughs>